Welcome into another episode of We're Talking. Today we're talking basketball, Raging Cajun basketball with Mike Gaybear. How you doing this morning, Mike? Oh, doing okay. Still fighting this little sinus drip, which I think I'll go through all the winter, but I'm surviving with it. Yeah, I get that a lot myself, so I I, I feel your pain. <laughs> so yeah, but I've been able to get up and around a little bit. Went to the gym yesterday. Shot a few baskets. That usually actually helps, believe it or not. <laughs> I I can see that. I can see uh, where exercise is definitely good in all of these uh, situations. So, well, let's start talking basketball. We let's go back to ah, I forgot uh, the ULM game. The first half of that game, Cajuns came out strong. What did you see that might have been different, or was it just that ULM were not prepared for us? What's your thoughts? My thought was the crowd and the big to do that they made up at the. For ULM, their 2000 game, that over 3,500 people there, and those people were really into the game throughout. But I think it's actually inspired the Cajuns. Sometimes, you know, when you play in front of an empty gym on the road, whatever, it can actually just make you play lethargic. This was not the case. I think the crowd there actually inspired the Cajuns where the Cajuns wanted to shut them up. Uh, so, because the first five minutes was almost perfect basketball. I've seen eight out of nine. I think I've seen nine out of 10 and the first shots were made. In the first five minutes, the Cajuns actually had a 23 to four lead. Um, I thought Jordan was especially effective. Jordan Brown, that is, you know, because we, we scored, he scored, he assisted. We made threes. Uh, we got some layups. Uh, noticeably, the layups were something that was a factor throughout the weekend when our big men, you know, Joe or uh, Terrence would just cut to the basket when Jordan had the ball because they were so afraid about three-point shooters, and everything was just perfect. <clears throat> no turnovers, no offensive rebounds allowed the first five minutes. So that 23-4 to four run actually determined the outcome of the game because, you know, they just coasted from there, basically, although they did get tied a few times. You see the same thing? Yeah, I, I, a couple of things, you know, I mean, just when, when you start hitting shots like that and you talked about the crowd, I know from experience going up there, their students sit just to the left of our bench. And I know when Sean Long was here, they were they would chant overrated and they were getting on stove and and and, and Bart uh Bartley and and those guys when we played and then then Stove hit the three-point shot and I and I said, Where y'all where you know the, the students started running off. I'm like, where are y'all running now? Thought we were overrated, you know. So <laughs> that was fun, huh? That that was a good time. Yeah, well yeah, well, of course, the game can't continue that way. You're not going to play perfect. The game goes normal, as I would say. The Warhawk starts to hit some shots. With that big lead, it's normal. You're going to lose focus. The turnover problem, which was a bigger factor, that starts to rear his head. And to me, Richards and, and Julian, they seemed to be a step slow when we sub. Isaiah did get a few rebounds, but defensively, just looked a step slow. However, as soon as Jordan returns, the league goes right back. I was really impressed the way Jordan played. Not necessarily if he scored anything, but just having him on the floor. Uh, yeah, so we're in control. Yeah. At half, what was it, 17, something like that? The lead was cut to 17. Yeah. But yeah, with about three minutes to go, Jordan got his second foul, and they sat him. So it um, the lead had ballooned to 24. I think it was 43-19 when Jordan had come back after his normal rest in the middle of the half. But, you know, turnovers started to be a concern there. But notice this. At one point in the first half, even though the Cajuns had more turnovers, they led in points off turnovers 10 to 2. So it wasn't hurting them too much because some of those were offensive fouls or, or shot clock violations, something like that. 
Yep. So the Kings were doing a good job of getting back, even though we're turning the ball over. That means they, you know, they were hustling the whole time. I actually thought ULM was quite lucky in the last play of the half. I don't know if you noticed this. Kentrell Garnett gets fouled. I thought it was a shooting foul. He, he jumps into the lane. No call. So we have to take the ball out of bounds. We're not on the one-on-one -on -one yet. And I think it was Dalcourt or something. Obviously got fouled. No call. Oftentimes that happens on the last play of the half, last play of the game. We don't just let the contact go. But you're up by 17 there, and you're still feeling comfortable. But I'm comfortable, but not uh, to the point where you know it's going to be a kickwalk because I knew ULM would come back in the second half. They just had too much pride, and the crowd was there. They were gonna, any, any kind of little run they make, they would get a little motivation. You feel the same way at half? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a strong first half, and, and you're not going to keep up that level of play like we did in the first four, five, six minutes. Uh, we, we, you get a little sloppy at times, and I understand that. Not happy with 20 turnovers in the game, but at the same time, that's kind of to be expected, I guess, at that point. Uh, it's hard to stay focused for, for 40 minutes, you know. That's a good word. Focus, yeah. So the second half starts. I don't know if you noticed, uh, similar to our first half start, they hit their first four shots. And I didn't think the Cajuns' defense was that bad. I give the Warhawks a little credit. They made some tough shots at that point. But they're desperate, you know. They've got that big crowd. as their 2000 game. They've got their arc rival. They're three and two. They're two and two. They, they you know, say, hey, we got to win this one to keep our lead. So understand that they were going to come back there. So it's not a surprise. But I was pleased uh, the way we responded. You know, Jalen comes off the bench. Hits a couple of big threes. Uh, Greg gets a dunk. Um, I don't remember if you, that particular play, but he caught the ball on the corner. Didn't hesitate. You know, I guess they figured he'd shoot the three, went right, and and he just slammed it over to the UNM big man. I understand that um, that highlight, that, that dunk was actually one of the highlights of the top dunks of the of the night in college basketball. Oh, really? Very yeah. good. And so, so he was really aggressive on the move. So, again, you know, we're holding the lead. They respond, take, cut the lead. We get it back. And then, of course, the turnover problems begins. You know, they cut in the lead. We'd get it back. That would happen all the way throughout the uh, second half. But then about five minutes to go, you know, I think they have an eight-minute run. And, and again, some of our turnovers, but again, some of some tough shots they make, so the lead's cut to seven. Some of our turnovers I thought were just lack of focus and, you know, where – Maybe the pass is made, but the catch is not made clean. You're trying to go to the basket before you actually catch it. But maybe it's a good thing the game got close. I wasn't too disappointed at it because you learn more from that situation where you've got to execute down the stretch and the blowout. Uh, have you noticed that in basketball through the year or any sport through the years? Yeah. You, you know, we, Coach Rogue talks about it, uh, talked about it a lot, is making your push relevant. You're going to make a push at some point in the game. But you have to keep that game close so you make your, your push relevant. And that's what the Cajuns, by jumping out to the big league, did and kind of holding it till that five-minute mark, were able to keep uh, ULM's uh, push, make it irrelevant because of the big league. It, it, they probably weren't going to come back from, from 20 points down, you know? Yeah. Well, another factor beyond the turnovers that was disappointing was the free throws. I think we were 13 for 23. You know, in the first half, we were three for four. So we shot a lot more in the second half. 
Joe and Greg actually um, struggled a little bit there a couple of times. But late in the game, you know, we were making at least one or two. We were going to the line, the lead got to seven, then we got some stops, you make one, you know, leads eight, make another leads nine, you know. Even that point, you start to feel a little better that, you know, you're going to be able to hold on here. Like I said, I didn't really mind the game getting close because it showed we had to actually execute. And, of course, Joe has a uh, f big steal and a duck, and the game's put away. So, then I, after uh, the game was over, I said, okay, what was the key play of the game beyond the 23-4 to lead early in the first half? And I thought the key play was the five-point play, like in the middle of the second half, where Jordan got an and one, made the basket, and Richard got a tech. I can see Richard being upset because it looked like the foul might have been on the floor and um, maybe it should have, the and one shouldn't have been now. It's sort of like an NBA continuation type of thing. I can see his frustration. But uh, in such a big game, I was shocked that such an experienced coach like that could basically just give us two points. Yeah, because uh, he's kept his cool a lot. I mean, he's gone through a lot there, obviously, not with the best record. Yeah, well, the resources they have can be limited, but you know he does. I think he does a great job. But I was Absolutely. really shocked. And that lead goes from at that time I think they had cut it to ten, back to fifteen or twelve to seventeen or ten to fifteen. So five point play was huge. Another another point, you know, their push late becomes irrelevant because they were just too far behind; they couldn't catch up. So uh, that's my thought of the first and second half. After the game's over with and I, and I go through the games, I like to go through the box score and see, well, is there anything that actually the box score is going to tell me that I may have missed? And I caught this. LaCour is their best guard. He went only four for 13. Did you notice that? Yep. Uh, we were able to keep it. I, I thought that was one of the better defensive games, especially in the first half the Cajuns played. Right. I think the, the guy named Powell actually had some good uh, a good game for uh Yeah, seven for 10. Him. 19, yeah, points. 19 points and he's usually not their main guy because their third guy so you're not gonna stop everybody so Kentrell Barnett actually had the uh, guard on uh LaCour for most of the game I thought he had a really good game not only score well you know uh held their best guy to four or 13 remember he, he was really good against Southern Miss as well and one of their top guys so he's improving defensively from a year ago much better player than that end of the floor Seems to be able to anticipate where the guy's going to go. He's a beat, what they call beat the guy to their spot, which comes from coaching to some degree where it gets good game plans. He also played 37 minutes, and that's a lot for a guard. I mean, we talked about team as folks having to play that before. Well, that's was Contrell on Thursday night, and the reason for that was he had to play point a lot because folks was not as strong as he was uh, last week. We talked very well about his play in the homestand. Disappointed that one of the reasons he sat out so much is coach bitched him a little bit for actually letting those fans get to him and talking back to the fans. Yeah, you know, you know, we just talked about Richard, you know, how intense the game was. He may not like the term when we talk about ULM and their arrival, but they they sure consider us a rival. So, you know, you got to get their best shot. So, Timus is a very intense player, wants to win. So, but you can't do that. You can't talk to the fans. Do you think? Uh, the the part of me says a lot of what's going on there, and I know people don't think Michael Thomas is a pure point guard, which he's not. But at the same time, you brought up Kendall Garnett playing thirty seven minutes, which is a lot of minutes. 
But the previous two games, Bucks played 34 minutes, which is a lot in, in back-to-back games. Do you think a lot of that uh, lack of focus was maybe being a little bit tired and hitting the road again? Could be. It could also be that they were so in tune that basically in, in the first half, first few minutes, like you said, it's impossible to keep not only the focus, but the intensity, your physical intensity. So they put out so much effort in getting that a big lead. Might have been a first half, second half thing. Okay. On the lack of focus. <clears throat> uh, I know when I actually uh, even play pickup basketball and there could be 100 people in the gym sometimes watching, I, I don't pay any attention to it. I ignore it. I, I don't even hear it. Even when I was a bitty basketball coach when my kids were younger, I, I don't hear one thing in the stands. So um, I guess maybe uh, – that's how focused some people can be, and I think teammates needed to do that. Focus on the court versus listening to the fans. I know, like you said earlier, their fans can actually uh, get to the point where you you do hear them. They're right next to you. Yep. And ULM. <clears throat> but anyway, hopefully he learns from that. Uh, McCain shot, what, 61% in this game? That's... Who's that? I'm sorry. I, I it broke up there a little bit. I think there's 61, 62% from the field in this game. Oh, uh, yeah, 61.5. Yeah. So, And we were close to that in the next game, too. Coach said this morning on his radio interview with Scott Prather that we are actually one of the top th- in the top 20 in the country in field goal percentage, three-point field goal percentage, and effective field goal percentage, which is taking all your points and dividing by, uh, like, it were only two-point shots. So, but why is that? Well, Jordan scores inside, but I really thought a big factor here was all the layups. And you're scoring at the rim, yeah, and layups by uh, Joe Charles and by uh, Lewis, D. Lou there, they were nine for nine in the game. I think every one of them went within two to three feet of the basket. So that'll really uh, move your defense percentage up. So that's why I go back to how well I thought Jordan played. So he had six turnovers. I was surprised he had that many. Of course, sometimes, you know, you got three bodies, six hands around you. It's hard to make the pass out correctly. And But, you know, those are really simple plays. They're not putting Jordan right under the basket. They put him a few feet away from the basket, and the big man just cut, and they score. So really simple. Uh, and we, 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 I know we had good rebound numbers, good assist numbers. 21 rebound, 21 assists on 32 makes. That's anytime you get 20 assists in a game, it's great, and you get 60. percent That shows you're moving the ball well. A good team play where uh, people are putting the team first and themselves second. Well, that I was going to bring that up. You, uh, unfortunately, they changed the website and they don't have the statistics game by game by game to go by. But is that the most assists we've had in a game this year? I know, I know for sure it's the second time we've been over 20. I okay. think we were at. Uh, Around 20 in the Louisiana Tech game, which is back in November, which we you know, one of the uh, best okay. performances of the year. Yeah. Uh, now, the only negative, again, was the turnovers. We gave up 20 points off turnovers. And at one time, we let 10 to 2. We got 14. So that's the reason the second half was not uh, close. And again, the free throws were 13 for 23. But we did make one out of two, at least, in the end of the game, you know, when it was uh, uh, getting tight there. Uh, my final thought is the early cages lead prevented ULM from controlling tempo. They had to play faster than they wanted to. <clears throat> and we were playing almost perfect. They don't want to play in the game where they're in the 70s and we're in the 80s. They want us to both be in the 60s. I remember Coach Marlin said that the other day. And then the next game, 
they played Texas State, which both teams like to play a little more control, and that game was in the 60s. So, Yep. But I give ULM credit, you know. They made some really tough shots off of boys. Uh, you know. Some of the threes they made were because some of the driving – and our coaches had said that, so their guards could make some tough shots. So we'll see if they continue that on the road. They've been at home a lot lately. Uh, but <clears throat> got, that's all I got on that one. All righty. Let's move on to the uh, the trip to South Alabama. Do you know did the did the team come home for a night, or did they head directly to Mobile the next day? They had directly to Mobile. Okay. So I guess that's twenty to what fifty five and down south to ten. Yep. You can stay on interstate pretty much the whole way. I imagine it's about a six hour trip. I'm just guessing. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about travel at the end, but that was probably not too bad. No, that was one of the better or one of the easier travels uh, sessions we had. So, yeah. So, so we first, got the USA. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was remember just, last week. Go ahead, you go Mike. first. I'll be quiet. No, that's all right. I was just going to say, you know, the first half the Cajuns go down by seven. What happened there? Well. Big surprise when the game start. Their uh, big man, who's uh, known as the shot blocker, transfer from Florida Gulf Coast, named Samuel, doesn't play. And really, no one knows why. I found out later. Well, he injured his knee in the uh, game uh, previous, and uh, they thought he would be able to play. And him not playing was pretty much a game time decision. I guess the trainers held him out of the last second. Uh, Riley, their coach, uh, was really surprised he wasn't going to play when he heard the news from their trainer. But in some ways, I think that maybe galvanized their team. Say, well, here's our one of our big guys. The rest of us have to, you know, pull together and uh, and play at a higher level. I'm not so sure that outcome would have been any different because his sub uh, guy named Caring did a great job. He might be a better shooter than Samuel. You know, he had a double figure game. Uh, he, he's the guy who got them off to the lead early on, or not the lead. It was pretty tight even there. But Jordan was matching him. And they just feeling each other out. And uh, I don't think the Cajuns got the lead until well into the first half. I think it was 20. We got it up when Joe made a three. And we got it up to 25-20. And then the bottom falls out. Yeah. Remember we talked about in the home games where the Cajuns dropping some threes, fueled their defensive energy? Yep. Uh, in the last two games we were at home in Southern Miss and Georgia State, where we made some threes in the first half. Well, this is what happened to uh, Saad Al. Uh, the threes they made, I can't really fault the Cajuns. Uh, they weren't way wide open. There were some tough ones. They had a guy got off the bench, hit a few. And also, from that point, you know, the Cajuns weren't getting any open for three. Couldn't get any. You know, Kentrell there, they got an open side. So, so the Saad Al defense there was pretty good, you know. Uh, and Jordan scoring a little bit, but they're stopping our threes. Can't even get any off. And, and, you know, we have some turnovers. It's not as bad as um, it was at ULM, but, you know, maybe sometimes we try too hard to force the ball into Jordan when it's maybe it looks like the pass is open and the defense sees it coming and come a little late and they steal the ball. I definitely so saw that. I was just going to say, I definitely saw that a lot where uh, the South Alabama guys would make it look like it. Jordan had one-on-one and the, and the other guy would come from uh, the paint just a few feet away to either knock the ball away or steal the ball. So, yeah, I thought uh, South Alabama was one of the better defensive teams that we've played this season. Yeah, 
And we scored 79 points. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But, um, you know, other co- we talk about our coaches uh, scout the other team and they get game plans. Well, they scout us too. <laughs> yep. Other coaches get paid as well. And another thing I noticed that there was um, a guy named Moore. There's transfer from a Division two school, whatever. It was a really tough guard for Greg Williams Jr. He's he's only six one. You think Greg six three, but he's got a fullback build. You know, he's got a big, tough upper body. He's really strong when he gets to the lane and you know, he can use that body to get the shot off. He had a great first half. I don't fault uh, Greg, but his lack of effort. It was just a tough guard for him. However, you got to give Greg credit. One of the biggest shots of the game was the three right before half. Um, you know, a couple of times this year, I think it's, we talked about the Georgia State game where we uh, got a good shot off right before half. In the past, maybe our uh, last second shots uh, right in the half so haven't been as effective as they seem to be this year. But Greg got a great pass. He just let it go and you know, no hesitation. You know, sometimes you don't think about it and you the shot clock is uh, right there. So you got to catch it and let it go. You don't think about it. It's more natural body, natural and muscle memory. And that was a great catch and shoot. So we're down seven. You know, he doesn't make that shot. We're down 10. That shot made a major difference in the game. Well, the game ended up being a three-point game. So you can kind of say that was the uh, the deal breaker there for, for uh, South Alabama by us hitting that shot. Yeah, but it also changed the momentum. I think it gave us momentum and confidence going into the half. Um when the second half starts, it looks to me in the cages of better energy shot by Greg just fueled us. Here's the biggest factor in the game. Terrence Lewis wasn't playing poorly, but he wasn't doing much. You know, just there. And Joe Shaw started in the second half and uh, helped our defense. And we have the lead less than halfway through the half. You know, we, we got some, I think that's three times we got steals and uh, got some easy breakaway uh, layups for ourselves. And so, you know, the game's tight there because our defense that we had in the beginning of the second half, and the team just start trading punches. You know, it's tight all the way. Yeah, it's like everything. And again, it goes back to what we were talking about that earlier in the in the first game we talked about is making your push relevant. So by, by Greg Williams being able to hit that three-pointer, and then we come out at the beginning of the half and get, a, a I believe, a layup uh, by Joe Charles, it, it, it made our push relevant to where we could make that that stance and uh, stop them a couple times. So really liked the way they came out the second half and started that second half. Yeah. Um, then, you know, I talked about the, the teeth trading punches. One thing I noticed, again, going to the coaches, Jordan had some skip passes for assists. When skip means you, you throw it over the, uh, the defense, and you've got to be tall to do that. And – in the last game, yeah, we saw that Joe Charles and Terrence Lewis would just cut into the basket with Jordan would get the ball. Well, when they did that this time, a couple of times, it was three straight possessions where Lewis and Charles cut to the baskets, Jordan's got the ball, and he throws it over to defense, and Greg Williams is wide open on the other side. And, and he's really wide open, and, you know, those are 50% shots, and Greg knocks them both. Jalen was a little off. He hits one. And, uh, you know, then it's really uh, a close game. There was a, two key plays, I thought, in this game. One um, uh, for, against us, the one who was for us, you know. I mentioned Jalen hit a three. He hit another one. It was taken away with the rest. They called the moving screen on Isaiah Richards. Uh, the officials didn't really um, uh, make a big deal out of it. It was just moving screen, get, play on, go the other way. But that would have given us a six-point lead. 
And Coach Marlin said in the post game that uh, his assistant coaches told him that was not a moving screen by Isaiah Richards. Unfortunately, they didn't really show a good replay on that, so I can't comment. At the time, I said, well, he might be moving a little bit, but the other guy was moving too. It really wasn't a screen. It was just like both guys sort of slipping through the lane. That was a huge play. You know, that game was a six-point lead, and we might blow it open. Uh, but then, you know, we're down one. We're on defense. There's a key play made in the game. It's we're getting close to the four-minute media timeout. Greg and Jordan are both sitting out there, you know, getting their last blow. And the box score says Isaiah Richards forced a jump ball, and we hit the possession there. I thought it was Joe Charles. Maybe they were both involved in there. But that was a huge play because uh, it allowed our – Two of our better players to come back into the game. And we're down one. We get a defensive stop because of the basically it's a stop because of the uh, jump ball situation. And, you know, and we come back in and the two guys come back in and we retake the lead. Uh, here's something else that happened. Um, coaching move that I noticed. Um, maybe some people may have missed it. In the last two minutes there, coach was doing offense defense substitution with Jalen Dalcourt for team as folks. Remember back in the Coastal Carolina game when we blew that game? I said, I wish Coach would have done that. Well, I don't know. Do you think he listens to us, Craig? <laughs> I don't know. I kind of wondered because we talked about that a little bit, that that Jordan, we thought Jordan was forcing too much and needed to recognize the double and triple team better. And Jordan's kind of done that. I don't know if that's, you know, I'm sure the coaches have told him the same thing, though. So Yeah. It, but speaking of Jordan, he had five assists. The last three games had career high in assists, four, five, and six. At five at ULM, and sometimes you don't even get the assist. You get the hockey assist, or you know, you yep. just are you. You're not even involved in the play. They got three guys on you, and the ball's on the other side, and got you get a good shot. Yeah, but uh, coach was subbing Jalen in for Timus on defense because Jalen's one of our better defensive guards. Uh, I think that helped get us some stops late. And to Timus's credit, you know, the previous game he had uh, to sit a little bit. In this game, he makes one of the plays of the year. You know, where he loses his dribble. The maintenance and maintain it under the basket. It ends up making a reverse layup, giving us a four-point lead with uh, less than 30 seconds to go. So good move there by coach and good move, uh, good recognition by Timus that uh, that baseline would be open. Okay. Then, then, you know, they score 20 seconds. We get the ball inbounds to Greg, and he turns it over. I thought for sure he was fouled. You know. Oh, yeah, he, he looked like he was kind of pushed out of balance there and uh and, and was falling away into the to the south alabama bench i agree with you i thought that was a foul there as well and there was yeah, a second, no call there was a second jump ball they had too and they were kind of two back to back in the second one i don't see how a guy that's wrapping his arms around another player it's not a jump ball he's there's no way that's got to be a foul you know, yeah i don't come, remember that particular play but that's a foul when that happens but, but sometimes the refs let it go you know, yeah, I thought it was a foul there. And we talked earlier about, you know, Greg uh, maybe struggling on defense in the first half, trying to guard more. But, you know, he ends up making a big shot before half, and he has got another big shot late in the, late in the second half where, you know, after we turn it over, we do play defense. We get a stop. Terrence Lewis gets fouled. Unbelievable. He was 34 for 36 at that point. In the ULM game, he was the guy chosen to make the technical free throws. At least the first were a little short. And often that happens in basketball. Something you expect to happen positive doesn't, and you maybe think a little bit. And he misses the second, and Greg comes out of nowhere and gets that offensive rebound. Huge play. 
you know, usually with offensive rebound and misreach, it'll be your big guys, not the not the small forward or guard. Yeah. Um, and he, he makes at least one of the two free throws and uh, he misses the second. And, of course, we're all shocked. Why didn't uh, the ULM guy take a – I mean, the USA guy take a three-point shot to try to tie it, at least from half court or something. There's, there's, then there's word out, okay, well, they didn't change the scoreboard. But I don't know if I believe that, you know. Well, no, I watched – we, we actually watched the end of the game yesterday and watched those last uh, seconds of the game, 10 seconds of the game, about six times. Uh, after after, after uh, Williams made the first free throw, you could see the clock and everything, not only on the, on the graphics, but you could see the scoreboard in the arena had not changed either. So they did show a two-point game at the time. So I think I really think that happened. I'm sure that the when when the when Williams made the shot, I'm sure somebody looked up and they looked up to see the scoreboard and saw it was two because they never changed it. And then he misses the, the second free throw. I, I really believe that they, they thought it was a two-point game. Yeah. They they may have, but you know, maybe I'm so analytical I don't get that. When I play pickup basketball, I'm the scorekeeper. I know what the score is every second of the day. You could yeah. ask me in the middle of the game, I know what the score is. Who's got the lead? So, and you remember, it was a two point lead when um, Lewis went to the line, yep. 78 76 at that point. So, they've got to know it. So, if that happened, then, then it's their fault. Their scorekeepers should have actually uh, been more up to snuff. And the players got to know that. Anyway, the shot didn't go in. If even if it had, it wouldn't have mattered. Um, so, great win. Actually, I thought USA was played an outstanding game. Uh, I thought it was one of the most exciting games we played this year. Of course, I'm saying that now that we won versus Costa Carolina, where we lost by one. They probably thought it was an exciting game. Yeah. But, you know, of the six games we played in conference, even though they didn't have their big men, I was pretty impressed with South Alabama. I, yeah. I think this is probably one of uh, Rick, Rich Riley's uh, better coaching jobs and better teams that he's had, and he tends to bring in a lot of transfers. Not a fan of him necessarily, but uh, I, I thought this was one of his better coaching. Yeah, they had beat James Madison the game before us, which was, you know, in pre-conference was uh, one of the better teams in the league. Yeah, and, uh, and I was pulling for, I was pulling for them that game because I didn't want them to come into our game with a three-game losing streak. You know, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't want that to happen because then there's the extra motivation. Yeah, you know. Exactly. And I would not be surprised as the conference play continues here if they do fairly well. Yes. We'll see how they do on the road. But, you know, Moore being a tough guard there. Sure about box score observations, you know, both Moore and Kearing had, um, what, 21, I believe. But the key on that is they both only had six in the second half or something around that number. Okay. And so the starting Joe Charles in the second half was the key difference in the game. It got us going defensively, even though he may not have been the one to get the Steeler assist. He's actually was able to guard more. The six-one guard, the guy said Greg had trouble with. You know how unusual it is for a four-man to guard a point guy? That's unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and uh, the guy Brown was perfect for, from three for the Jags. He kept them in it. Maybe he doesn't make those every game, and they were deep ones. The other observation I have: the Jags are only one for five from the free throw line couple of times in the first half, they missed the free throw out on an and one. Sometimes that happens. You're so excited. You made the basket. You lose focus on your free throws. But no f- 
foul shots for the home team in the second half. That's also unheard of. I, I was just looking at that, and it just amazes me how they can go uh, a team. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how many fouls there were in the game for us to give up, but you know that's amazing stack there, Mike. Yeah. Well, we had 10 fouls. Now, I know we gave up a little uh, higher percentage than we want to. Uh, with, um, I think the points in the paint were approaching 40 for South Al. That's because Moore and, and Kearing in the first half, you know, we did much better in the second half. So in the game, South Al shot 56%. I think we did hold them under 50 in the second half. Our, our rebound numbers, our assist numbers were all good again. Um, like I said, um, one comment is um, – on the boards, you know, our rebound numbers are good. Joe Charles also had seven rebounds, as well as playing great. Uh, I think he missed one shot on the weekend. Oh, <laughs> he, wow. Yeah, I think, yes, at uh, out, he was six for seven, missed one three-pointer. He was five for five at uh, Monroe. Of course, at Monroe, he struggled a little bit from the line. So... Good weekend. I, I don't really have much else to say about those two games. You know, we're four and two now. Two are on the road. Got two more on the road to come up. It seems like that's happening to a lot of teams. You know, we're playing four straight away and then four straight at home. We're not the only one that's happening to. I I, I believe that. What's your thoughts on uh, Themis Falk? So uh, playing thirty eight minutes in this game. Uh, well, he didn't have to argue with the fans like he did the last one. Yeah. Great shot at the end. His couple of minutes he didn't play were at the end of the game. That's just too many. I hope uh, Michael Thomas can um, come back. In the cases I have, he will. He was on the trip. I saw him on the bench. Okay. Uh, so that's positive. You know, where it is now is the concussion. So, But um, the fact that he's allowed in the gym, I think, is a real positive sign. You know, Absolutely. You know, he can handle the noise. Uh, so... Okay. We'll see what happens. It, it could depend upon matchups, too. Uh, we'll talk about the, how matchups affect things. I think he's going to be really key, believe it or not, in the next Saturday's game. I, I would agree. So Let's take a break, and we can preview the next two games. Yep. You've been listening, and we're talking with Craig Melanson and Mike Hebert. We're talking Raging Cajun basketball. <laughs> Welcome back in. We're talking. We're talking basketball with Mike Bear. Raging Cajun ba- basketball hits the road. Arkansas State Thursday night, then Texas State on Saturday. What's what the Cajuns have to do heading to uh, Arkansas State, Mike? Okay. Well, quite frankly, I think the Cajuns are a better team. That doesn't mean you'll win. You no know, college basketball. Anybody can beat anybody given night. Everybody was writing Kentucky down in the SEC after some bad losses. Forty lost by forty to Alabama, and then they go beat Tennessee on the road. So anybody can beat anybody in basketball. Arkansas State is um, nine and ten overall. Of course, they have three non D one wins, like most teams in the league. They're only one and five in the league. They're, they're struggling a little bit. Uh, however, they beat Old Dominion, which the Cajuns did not do to start the season. So anyone can beat anyone again. They're averaging sixty five a game. They give up sixty five. So nothing unusual there. I did notice they gave up 38% on threes. And, you know, we're one of the uh, better three-point shooting teams in the league. So maybe that's something we can take advantage of. Their best player is our um, K-1 
Caleb Phoebe's a guard. He averages 12 points a game. Notice their leading score average is only 12. Uh, their best rebounder is another guy named El Sheik. I think it's Omar El Sheik. He had 11 rebounds in the last game against Southern Miss. Their last two games at home, uh, they lost to Texas State in a really close game. And they, uh, by three, I believe. And then in the Southern Miss game, they lost by 17. The game was tied at a half. And then it was pretty close to the second half. And then the uh, Golden Eagles pulled away. This is the sixth year for their coach, Mike Bellotto, I think is his name. How's it pronounced? I believe that's correct. Bilotto. Yeah. Last year, they were 18 and 11. Uh, we beat them in the Dome in overtime. Uh, they hit a th- lucky three-point shot that's in there in overtime, and we played pretty well. Later in early February, when the Cajuns were struggling a little bit, we had some injuries. The guys were just coming back. We had played out one of our worst games in the, league, in the year, and we lost by uh, nine up there. Uh, and we gave up 17 boards in that game to what was the best player in the league at that time, the guy named Omir, who's now at the University of Miami. He's not there, but they're using the, another foreigner named El Sheik as their rebounder. You know, with one in five in the league, and even though they had a winning season last year, I wonder if their coach is on the hot seat. So they might play pretty hard for him in this game. I I think I think they always play the Cajuns tough up there. Uh, uh, but I, I agree. I I don't know. He's not. He's really not a likable guy, quite honestly. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's on the hot seat. Yeah, if you have some personality issues and you're one in five, you know. Bobby Knight was not a likable guy, but he won. You know, he, he, but he won, and he was a very wise man as well. So again, the Cajuns are a better team when I look at the number, all the numbers here. But that doesn't mean they'll win. Uh, they don't give a good effort; they won't win. Uh, like I said, um, Red Wolves are desperate here, starting one and five. So I bet you'll get their best shot early in the game to survive that and continue. I don't know what the travel plans are. I think we're flying to Jonesboro. Probably fly to Memphis and then drive. And then we uh, probably fly to San Marcos. It seems too far to drive from all the way from throughout all of Arkansas and into maybe even Oklahoma into Texas there. So I bet yeah, we're flying. It's about a 10-hour trip. I know uh, I forgot who, who did that trip already, but they did it the opposite. Went to Texas State, then Arkansas State. Uh, one, of the easier, one of the easier flights would be uh, taking a Southwest flight out of Little Rock into uh, uh, Austin. So I, I yeah, can see they could do that, I guess. Bust the Little Rock from Jonesboro. Okay. Uh, this, the game on the Thursday night is 7 o'clock, not, not 6.30 like it was this past week. It's ESPN Plus. <clears throat> Pretty sure uh, Saturday's game is ESPN Plus as well. Yes. That's the 4 o'clock game you know, at Texas State. Uh, seems like we're always playing there on a Saturday afternoon. Rarely get there on a Thursday night. I guess the way the travel goes. Uh, Texas State is an interesting team. They're ten and nine, three and three in the league. It's had some good wins and some other losses you scratch your head at. In non-conference, they won at Rhode Island and they won at a Pac-12 team at Cal. I know Cal's not strong, but they're still Pac-12 with Pac-12 resources. They've beaten James Madison and South Alabama in close games in conference, but they've lost to ULM twice. And you know, it makes, when you say the ULM, the Cajuns had a 20-some point lead there. You're surprised at that. But basketball is a lot by matchups. They may not match up well with the Warhawks for whatever reason. Uh, their leading guy, of course, is Mason Harrell. He's been there forever. You know, he's number 12. 
Uh, I guess he's got the COVID year back. He's pretty much a five-year starter. He's averaging 17 points a game. You know, he's a 5'9 guy, a little strawberry, as quick as can be. That's why I said I think Michael Thomas is key because he's a little quicker defensively than um, Timus. Timus might be able to take a Harold to the basket if he matches up with him well. But I, I think that's the key there. So hopefully Michael can play. Their best rebounder is a guy, uh, 6'5", number one, named Morgan. They've got a couple of their 6'8 guys, but their stats don't uh, pop up at you. So Jordan may be able to do well in this game. Uh, they play Marshall on Thursday, so that will be interesting because Marshall seems to be one of the hottest teams in the league right now. They're playing very well. Yeah. Not surprisingly, going back to the Danny Casper days, Texas State scored 65 and they gave up 64. When they had their better teams, they might score 67 and you then give up 58 or 59 or something like that. Um, the other thing I noticed on their stats is they shoot only 29% on threes. Of course, the last couple of times we said that when we went on the trip out east, those teams actually shot the ball from three better than their stats show, so you can't uh, rely on that. You can't leave them open. But, you know, Last weekend, we said if we win Friday, Thursday, we'd feel pretty good about winning Saturday. So I'll say the same thing this time, but, you know, eventually you play this many games on the road and you get travel so much, uh, you miss so much school. I just wonder if that'll end up uh, catching up with the Cajuns. I could win with any team, nothing specific about them. But uh, so a key to me then is going to be how the bench plays. So we can actually don't have guys play 38 minutes. And so we can actually spread it out to where Jordan Timas can play 30. I, 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 that's what I was going to say. I, I don't want to see anybody play over 32 minutes on either one of these games. And I would prefer, prefer 30 like you, you. So, uh, and that, that hopefully means two things. One, we got a little bit of a lead or a big lead at the end of the game and we can get some substitutes in there and get them uh, some playing time as well. Yeah. And the stuff play effective during the middle of the game. Like I said, Isaiah Richards, I didn't think was a, very good against uh, EOLM, but he was much better, I thought, against uh, South Alabama. Yep. On the boards and just moving his feet defensively in the second half. So uh, Jalen Dalcourt actually didn't um, shoot the ball that well at uh, South Alabama, but he was good defensively. He was pretty good offensively at ULM. So those are two key guys and maybe Michael Thomason. Now, Michael hasn't played in about, what, five or six games now, so we'll see how much rust he has. So hopefully we can get him in the game on Thursday because I think we'll need him on Saturday. Yep. Absolutely. See, we talk about the travel a lot, you know. Uh, I heard uh, Jay Walker and Scott Prey talking this morning about the league looking at maybe redoing how they do in the travel. Well, uh, you know, pretty tough trip here. Later in the season, we'll play uh, a home game on Thursday and have a one-game trip all the way out to Old Dominion. Um, we're not the only team in the league facing these the, the situation. So I don't know what the league's going to do about it, but I hope they look at it again. The travel part issue can be a problem because there's seven teams in the East and seven teams in the West. So the only way you can make it work is if you'll have to have one team in the East have a travel partner in the, in the West. I looked at it the other day. I said, here's my solution. Texas State, seven hours away, would have to become the Cajun's travel partner. ULM and Arkansas State would match up. South Alabama and Southern Mississippi. You, the only way to make it work is really have Troy and Coastal Carolina become travel partners. Then you have the Georgia schools together. You'd have uh, Marshall and App State together, and and uh, I think that's everything. So that's, I don't know if they're going to want to do that, but you know, trying to avoid these one-game trips 
all the way across country is is um, a problem. They also have talked about a Wednesday, Saturday. I don't know how you'll do that either, but you'll miss so much school. SEC does it, but you know what they do that we don't? They charter. Yeah. You can play on a Tuesday night and be home for class on Wednesday morning. We can't do that. Yeah. Uh, especially with the move where the schools are going to be required to buy more D1 games. The charters are just not an option. So, but something's got to be done differently within this. Maybe we could go to 16 teams, get a couple more teams in the league, and that'll make it easy with eight on each side. That that would be one. Uh, the question becomes, where do you get each team from, which we can discuss in another podcast. But, yeah, that's something there. And I, I don't see the Wednesday-Saturday thing being any better, quite honestly, than Thursday-Saturday. All it does is leave you on the road one extra game. So, or one extra day. Yeah, because so, yeah, we're not going to go, go come back home from Arkansas State and get back on the bus again all the way to Texas State. We're not going to do that. There's just too much time missed from school for the kids as, as it is. Yeah, so I don't see that working. Like I said, if you could chart it, it would work, but that's not feasible in our league at this yep. stage. So, Craig, I enjoyed it again. Um, we can't figure out the travel problem. Maybe some smarter guys than us will. <laughs> I know there's a lot of smart, smarter people than me, so uh, yeah, but, one day we'll have to sit down and look at it, but, you know, it, I, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know what they can do, quite honestly, with 14 teams. So, Well, next week we'll be talking about starting some home games. Um, that'll be interesting. You know, uh, maybe my concern there, I have so much time on the road, you know, where this is going to be 8 out of 10. And the other thing I noticed, you know, following this weekend, the Cajuns are what? Um, we're 14 and 4 right now? Yes, I believe that's correct. Throw out the three Don D1s, we're 11 and 4. We've only played four home games out of that. Yeah, you know, oh. and so you know the two in conference and the one against Louisiana Tech and the one against um, Sanford. So it's about time we get some home games. So, well, the nice part about it, I think, the two things with the which hurt the Cajuns is one, the inability to get the Cajuns done because of Mardi Gras. So that screws up the Cajun schedule. And but at the same time, I'm glad that we have at the beginning of the season the stretch of games on the road. So towards the end of the season, I think we play six of eight at home at one point. So seven of the last dinner at home. And okay. that'll be starting after this weekend. That that's to me is awesome. So I'm willing to to give a little bit at the beginning to get that at the end. I think that's a I think this is going to be an advantage for the Cajuns going forward. As long as we can well, come we out have this, a good as long as we can come out of this weekend, you know. Okay. We got to get one on this trip, hopefully two, at least one. If you lose two, then you basically gave up the ground you gained this past weekend. Yeah, we've got to get one of these two, and if we do that, then the students are also back. And um, the the games that we did play with the students in town, uh, with uh, Sanford and um, Louisiana Tech, I think were pretty well attended by students. Some of the players on the team actually pushed the student attendance, so we'll have seven remaining games where students will be in town, and hopefully they can give us a little boost and give the team a little more energy. Yeah, those games were the the uh, the crowd was electric to say the least, and I think going even in the in the last home game that we had, I thought we had a pretty good crowd. But the students will definitely bring a boost to that. So, yeah, well, the the kids uh, uh, kids night helped uh, in the game against Georgia State. So we'll maybe we can do that again and have the students, and we'll have a good atmosphere. Absolutely appreciate it, Craig. Let's hope we got two more wins to talk about next week. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it as always. And we'll talk again next week, if not sooner, off the air. So 
You've been listening to We're Talking with Craig Melosa and Mike A. Bear. We've been talking Raging Cajun basketball. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.